Well, I'd like to welcome all of you tonight. I see a number of uh, parents, family, and friends here tonight. It's great to have you. I know many of this is your first night at The Rock. So I trust the Lord will use it to touch your life in some way. But I thought tonight that we would start, if we could, with the word of prayer. And there's someone in particular I'd like to pray for. His name is Saeed Abijin. And Saeed is 32 years old. The Iranian government is holding him right now. He's a young pastor based out of the United States. And tomorrow he goes before the most radical judge of Iran and probably will be sentenced to death. He has two small children. His wife lives here. The government told him they could go home. Uh, from They were on a humanitarian mission. And many years ago, he helped start some house churches in Iran. And they've arrested him and been torturing him. And I just want us to join together and ask that God would somehow be merciful and that he could be returned to his wife and his two little children. Father, we just lift up this young man to you tonight. You know Saeed. You've known him, Lord, from eternity past. And we know that if, Lord, his life is ended, he'll be with you. Lord, he's got a wife and two children that love him and need him. And we ask you, Heavenly Father, that somehow you would intervene. We don't see, Lord, how it's possible for our government to intervene. We know what Ahmadinejad stands for. We know what Iran is about. But we also know that you're greater. And we ask you, Lord, that you'd be merciful to this young man and to his wife and children. Father, we ask you tonight that you would speak to our hearts, that you would touch us with the living word of God and through the spirit of God that you would unveil yourself to us even more as we desire, Lord, to be closer to you. We pray that you would help us to understand you, to see you more clearly, to lift the scales from our eyes and the calluses from our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you'd remember to keep this young man in your prayers, um, I would appreciate it and I know the family would as well. So last week we began this series entitled Closer to God and one of the purposes for which I started was because first it's my prayer, my earnest prayer for you as young men and women, every person here tonight, that 2013 would be a year in which you grow closer to God. That you would draw closer to God. That you'd understand God more. That you'd grasp God more. That you'd seek God more. And that God would reveal himself to you in greater and greater ways. The second reason that I started last week, and I started the way that I did, is because you represent most of you. I did see a few people come in tonight my age. So... This applies to most of you here in the room tonight. Even though those of us my age have certainly heard what I'm going to refer to tonight. We did not experience the systemic indoctrination and the propaganda that you young men and women have experienced. Since the time you have been born, in many respects... The existence of God has been denied, and the greatest evidence of God, nature, all creation, the universe, the galaxies, the stars, human anatomy, the plants, the insects, all of that has been attributed 
to nothing, to chance. And God's glory has been robbed from him. And yet all the scientific evidence, and this is not a lie, and I challenge you to read this book. I challenge you to get informed. You've been lied to. You've been propagandized. And it has come at a great cost. And I'll get into a little bit of that tonight. All of the scientific evidence points to God. And all of the great original scientists, Faraday and Isaac Newton, and I could go through the list, were all devout Christians. And they all believed that nature and science reveal the handprint of God on everything. And they studied, they were so passionate about their studies because of their devotion to God and their desire to grasp the nature of God even more. And I'd like to read to you a verse out of Romans to just show you how the Bible even emphasizes this issue of what we refer to as creation. But I'm reading this tonight from the Message Bible because I thought it would be a little more clear. Kind of says it in more of a modern day way. But God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human wrongdoing and lying continue to accumulate as people try to put a shroud over the truth and suppress the truth. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such cannot. They have seen God's eternal power and the mystery of his divine nature. So nobody, nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well in their heart. They knew there was a God. But when they didn't treat Him like God, they refused to worship Him. They trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in His hand for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand that refers to idolatry which is what the majority of our world is caught up in. Idolatry. We have seen, since the time I was born, in 1956, from that point on, through the 60s and the 70s, we have seen a complete unraveling of the moral fiber and the sanity of our nation. We have seen the complete, almost complete, breakdown and obliteration of the family. We've had over 16,000 gang killings in Los Angeles in the last eight years, more than all we've lost or, or the deaths in Iran, in Iraq and Afghanistan. If you had all the gang killings together, way, way, way beyond. We are seeing an unparalleled amount, unparalleled amount of wickedness and degradation and abuse and brokenness everywhere. And mark my words, you can study this if you want, it's totally up to you. I have studied it, so I'm not just making this up. 
Ever since we have systemically attributed all of creation to nothing and denied the existence of God and that man is no longer accountable to God and that God no longer explains your life and we've denied Christ, we have seen a complete, almost complete abandonment of morality, of responsibility. And let me just tell you, when God looks down on the world... It bothers him. It bothers him. It makes him extremely angry that we choose to suppress the truth, that we lie about reality. And as I read to you last week in this book, you're going to find, and I really urge you to get this, if you do not have the money, really don't, we'll give you one. You just tell him, Mark said, hey, I don't have the money, give me one. But I also want you to know that you can go on the website, searchforthetruth.net, and it's in PDF form. And so if you have a computer and if you have paper, you can download one sheet a day if you like. Or if you have an iPad or some other Kindle deal, you can put it on there and carry it around with you. But i just like to illustrate to you. I'm not going to read nearly as many as I did last week. <clears throat> but i just like to read a couple to you here tonight. I just continued reading it this week as part of my daily meditation on God. Man is distinct and separate from the animals. God spoke the animals into existence, but he formed man from dust. I don't know if you knew that. Our makeup is different. If we were to make a human body... Here's what we would need, as Dr. Mayo of the Mayo Clinic humorously put it. It's humorous, but but it's true. Enough potassium for one shot from a toy cannon. Enough fat for seven bars of soap. Enough iron to make a medium-sized nail. Enough sulfur to delouse a dog. Enough lime to whitewash a chicken coop. Enough magnesium for one dose of medicine. Enough phosphorus for a few boxes of matches. The total purchase would fill not more than a couple grocery bags. Did you know that's what you are? So there you have it. Our do-it-yourself kit for making the human body. A little dust and a lot of water. But here's the problem. Our list has no instructions. The human body is far more complex than science can even comprehend. A mere postage-sized stamp, piece of skin. Okay, hold out your hand. See there in the middle, just a little tiny postage stamp. Listen to this. A mere postage stamp-sized piece of skin has three million cells, one yard of blood vessels, four yards of nerves, 100 sweat glands, 15 oil glands, and 25 nerve endings. And we're supposed to sit idly by while our school systems teach our children that all this happened by chance, mutation, and time? Hardly. God with omniscient genius took dust with its odds and ends and miscellaneous chemicals and formed mankind. The human body eloquently testifies to God's wisdom and power. Evolutionists prey upon our gullibility. The Bible leads us to wisdom. 
Do you understand how phenomenal that is? I have friends that work in the computer industry that are so excited about a faster chip, a little chip the size of a postage stamp that'll make your phone go from a 4S to a new 5S. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Try competing with God in a postage tie stamp of skin with three million cells, one yard of blood vessels, four yards of... How in the world? I do not even know how. Can't even grasp. All from in these chemical makeups. You are so incredibly and wonderfully made. Now, I decided to read this tonight because I saw so many people come in tonight with these beautiful babies. I tell you... You know one of the most thrilling things for me on Friday night is my grandkids around me back there and sit beside me and sing and I get to squish their cheeks and then I watch all these other little babies come in. And you may not know this, but Josh, I got to embarrass you, but Josh was up here singing tonight. I held him when he was three months old. Babies are so incredible. The incredible miracle of a baby. Have you ever considered, I know you haven't because most of us haven't studied this, Have you ever considered the heart of a baby in the womb? The blood does not need to circulate to the lungs because the baby receives its oxygen from the mom's placenta via the umbilical cord. Yet the heart is a vital organ that must function from the beginning. So what happens in a baby's heart? The unborn baby's lungs are collapsed. Therefore, the right side of the heart does not need to send blood to the lungs. There are two short cuts in the unborn baby's heart that enable the blood to bypass the lungs. One is called the foramen oval. The other is the ductus auriticoriceus. Yeah, I know Latin too. The foramen oval is a hole between the right side and the left side of the heart. Blood flows from the right side directly through the raw into the left side. The unborn baby has a hole in its heart. At birth... As the baby makes its first cry, oxygen sweeps into the lungs and the lungs are inflated and the flap slams shut, closing the hole. Blood now starts circulating into the lungs to get oxygen. The other lung passes, bypass is the ductus, whatever that name is. This blood vessel routes the blood directly into the aorta. When the baby is born, the body makes chemicals that cause the bypass blood vessel to close. The blood begins pumping to the lungs to absorb the oxygen without delay. If evolution were true, how would you explain this complex and perfectly designed set of engineering marvels? What if no flap developed? Holes in the heart are not a good thing. What if the extra bypass blood did not close down? Instant death. We can breathe a sigh of relief that God designed this marvelous heart to function wonderfully before birth and after birth without a moment's delay. Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. God is the most phenomenal, awesome being in all the universe. Nothing is too difficult for God. Nothing is beyond God's imagining or God's understanding. Nothing is beyond his engineering capability. He is a marvel. He is magnificent and extraordinary. I don't know if you realize this, but every day you get out of bed, 
You have the most marvelous gift anyone could receive. And you got it for free. Your body. All the parts of your body God made. I should read you the section, but I won't today, on the human hand. And how extraordinarily different the human hand is than the ape. And how God formed all the parts of your body and the eye and the iris and all that the eye does connected to the brain and our hearing and our heart. And we have our nervous system and we have our plumbing system and we have our blood and we have our lungs and we breathe air that we get for free. All the most important things in our life are gifts from God. And yet, if we're honest, most people wake up every day taking it all for granted, thinking they deserved it all. And we never stop. We look in the mirror, even though we may not look like what we see. Lord, thank you I can see. Thank you I can walk. Do you remember in the miracles of Jesus, <clears throat> there was a man, he was beside the pool, he was lame, and all he wanted to do was walk. Have you ever imagined what it would be like if you could not walk? But you had this dream. Your make-a-wish was, oh God, I want to walk. I want legs that work. And then one day it happened. It happened. And you got your legs. You do what that guy did. You know what he did? He's jumping up and down. He's jumping on Jesus. He's jumping on everybody else. He's so excited. <clears throat> the Pharisees, they're upset at him. And, and, and they're giving him a hard time. And, and, and they bring him before him and said, Tell us who, who made you well. Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, he's a wicked man. I don't know whether he's wicked or not. But God doesn't hear sinners. All I know is once I was... Lame, and now I can walk. And they kicked him out of the synagogue, and he went on his way with his legs. Have you ever got up? Have you ever got up and just, just jumped up and down? Lord, thank you so much. I can walk! No, because you see, I, and we all are. We're, we're kind of numb to it. We just take it for granted. We've had it all of our lives. <clears throat> but it's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. And all around us... <clears throat> We see the extraordinary love and kindness and goodness and faithfulness <clears throat> and generosity of God. <clears throat> now I realize that you and I, you know, we're driving down the road and we've got to pay for the gas, right? <clears throat> and we've got to pay for the materials that our house is made out of. But can I just be honest with you? Let's be honest for a moment. Let's just step back, step back, step back for a moment. Whoever went and got the oil out of the ground got what God put there and it was free to begin with. And then the chain began, which is fine. There's no problem with that because someone had to work by the sweat of their brow. They had to develop some ingenuity. They had to get it up out of the ground. Then they had to refine it. That's fine. That all costs money. I have no problem paying. But the bottom line was the earth is full of all that we need to sustain life. All that we need. And we will not run out of it. God is not an idiot. God is not a fool. He knows the times and epics of man. And he knows when he's going to end it. And God is going to end it. We aren't going to end it. God is going to end it. It ends on God's terms. Never forget that. Now, I am not espousing wastefulness. I believe in recycling. I drive old cars. Part of that reason. 
I do a lot of other things as well. Others can make their, their, their choice. It's up to them. But I'm telling you that God has put the gold in the ground, the silver in the ground, the lead in the ground, natural grass on the ground. The trees that are all this wood that this was made out of was a gift from God. And then we took it and we made a living from it. We make a living with the body and the mind and the brain that God gave us for free. And the talents and the gifts that God gave us for free. You begin to understand why it bothers God quite a lot that no one stops to say, hey, thanks, Lord. Thank you. Wow, just, just imagine how you would feel if you... We have a young woman here. Her name is Wendy. And Wendy used to work in a, the brain trauma center at Abbott Northwestern. And, and uh, she was a physical therapist assistant. And there, there's a young man who wrote a book. While well, my daughter was in the hospital, she met this young man. He wrote a book. And in the back of the book, he gives thanks to Wendy. Wendy didn't even know he'd written it. He got a terrible brain injury. Actually, he was being chased by a police dog in Duluth at night, wrongfully, wrongfully, by the way. Fell off a giant cliff. Smashed himself in the ground. He said everything. I mean, major damage. Had to learn everything over again. And in the back of the book, he thanks Wendy for her patience and her love and her kindness and working. I mean, it was a long, long years journey, years of journey. Can you imagine what, how you would feel towards a person who walked you through all of that and helped care for you? And gave you your life. And God has given us more. And all around us we're surrounded by his miracles every single day. The wonders of God. All creation reveals his kindness. All of it. And I'd like to read just a couple of psalms to you tonight. One of the things I'm going to encourage you to do in your journey to get closer to God. It's to spend some time in the Psalms, but I'd just like to read a portion from a couple. This is Psalm 95. Come, let us sing to the Lord. This is one of the reasons why we always sing at the rock. I told the little children, uh, just before Christmas, we had a little uh, service for them, the beginning of the service, that the reason I named the rock the rock is because the rock is the name, one of the names of God. We sing to the rock every week when we worship. We sing about the rock, the Lord, Jesus Christ, God Almighty, the great I am. All one and the same. Come, let us sing to him. Let us give joy a shout to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving, with psalms of praise. For the Lord is a great God, the great king above all gods. He owns the depths of the earth, and even the mightiest mountains are his. The seas belong to him, for he made them. He made them. We can scoff all you want, but there he is. He made them. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people he watches over, the sheep under his care. He watches over you. He cares for you. He loves you. You are the crowning achievement of his creation. Did you know that? Man is over it all. Mankind. When I say man, I mean human beings. I don't mean ladies, men. It's an old-fashioned way of saying humans. The Bible calls us mankind. You're the apple of the eye of God. 
Psalm 100. Shout with joy to the Lord, O earth! Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him singing with joy. Acknowledge the Lord is God. He made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. In His courts with praise. Give thanks and bless Him, for He is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And His faithfulness continues to each generation. His faithfulness continues to every single generation. God is faithful, 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 faithful. He keeps His word. And God is trying to draw you close to Him. Do you understand that the first purpose of creation was that after God put human beings on the planet, they would be drawn to him because he put in them the knowledge that there's a creator and all around them, he surrounded them with his evidence that they might grope for God and find him. And what we've done instead is we've suppressed that truth, we've denied our conscience, we've denied what's there, and we've readily embraced the greatest, most stupid lie ever fostered on man, far worse than Santa Claus, is the lie of evolution. And our universities are packed with people making millions of dollars in foundations doing research all to support a lie. So that your heart might be directed away from God. And there are, and I say this to you because I love you, there are immediate consequences to that and eternal consequences to that. There are consequences in the here and now when we drift from God, when we strayed from God, when we deny God, and there are eternal consequences. Trust me, Darwin does not doubt there is a God today. And he has no chance to change. Second thing I want you to understand about God is not only is God our maker, okay? So God put all of this in motion for one purpose, that he might have a relationship with you. And it's not one that God is going to force upon you, but it's certainly one that God is going to do everything he can to draw you, to entice you, to wake you up, to bring you into relationship with him. So here's what God did. You've got this planet, right? And again, I don't know if you read the news. I don't know if you keep up what's going on in the world. I have a variety of news sources, reliable news sources from around the world. There are so many despicable acts going on around the world. But, you know, we could refer to the purges of Stalin in which almost 30 million people were slaughtered. We could refer to World War II and all that Hitler did and all that Hirohito did and the Japanese did. We could get into all the atrocities of Vietnam. We could get into the killing fields of Pol Pot. We could get into what's going on in our cities today and our cities and the gangs and the killings. We could just go into all of it. We go into suburban America and the abuse that's going on in homes today and the lying and the divorce and the broken promises. Everywhere we look in our world, everywhere we look, we see wickedness. It's what the Bible refers to as sin. Self-destructive, selfish behavior. And yet God, 
This is amazing. And yet God, instead of destroying it all, instead of giving all of us what we deserve, he brought his son into the world because he loves you. Because he loves you. So not only did he make you, not only did he give you your body, not only does he provide for you, give you air to breathe, food to eat, a digestive system which uses all of those nutrients for your body. But he brought his son, Jesus Christ, God himself, into the world, born to a virgin. And here is God in a baby and he wets his diaper and he messes his pants just like you when you were little. And his nose ran and he caught a cold, but he grew up and he honored his father and mother and he honored his heavenly father and he did not sin. And then he came to his own people, the Jewish nation, because Jesus was Jewish. But he came to be the savior of the whole world to save, as the Bible prophesied, his people from their sins. From all of our own doing, you see, it's sin that kills us. It's sin that destroys life. It's sin that has entered into the world through man's rebellion against God that has caused all of the death and destruction that you see. It is not God's fault. It's ours. And he brings his son into the world. And Jesus tells us in John, for God, my father, Love the world so much that he gave me, his only son, that whoever believes in me would never perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in the son is not condemned. He who does not believe in the son of God is condemned already. For he has not embraced the one and only son of God. Christ, you see, came into our, into our world. And when we come to know Christ, then we have God living in us. And we have the potential to begin to grow closer and closer and closer in this new relationship with God. It's a little bit like getting married. You know, you think you know each other really well. I know there's a bunch of young couples in here and young people who are thinking of getting married and they just think they're crazy in love. Well, I've been, I've been married for 33 years. And I'm telling you, I enjoy my wife and know her far better, far better today than I knew her when I was 23. Now, I want to tell you two of the reasons why. The first and the most important is because after I got married to her, I maintained my commitment to keep pursuing her, to want to know her, to want to grow, to want to get rid of things in my life that would keep us from having a meaningful relationship and to listen to her and to get to know her and to study her and to enjoy her and be with her and spend time with her instead of drifting, instead of other things being important, instead of getting distracted. And that's what happens with couples, see? They think, well, okay, well, so we're married. We move on with life. I get into my job. I get into my stuff, my more stuff, my more stuff. And then, of course, there's things in my life, bad habits, let's call them sin, that I keep doing that actually hurt the relationship Damage the relationship. And then little by little by little, walls go up and we drift and we drift and other people look more, more attractive to us and we move on and the divorce rate continues to explode. And this is the way many Christians carry on their relationship with God. They don't realize that, okay, now that I've come to know Jesus Christ and he's in my life, now what? I need to go after him. 
I need to seek him. And I want to close with just a few thoughts on that this evening. I don't have time to develop this, but I want to share with you a little bit of my journey and how and what it will take to get closer to God. Because God wants to be close to you. The first, the first that will help, especially you young men and women, is going through this book. And just beginning to reorientate your mind. You see, it is impossible to become close to someone who you believe lies about. Do you understand that? It's impossible to get close to someone who you've been lied to about, who's been slandered, and in your mind, they either don't exist or they're a joke. They're a lie. They're terrible. And so we've got to get rid of the lies and we've got to expose our mind to truth. To truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. To the extent you know and understand truth, that you know, understand, and apply truth, you'll be free. You'll experience incredible freedom. But to the extent you neglect truth, to that extent you will be enslaved, you will feel enslaved and hedged in and pinned in to your own moods, emotions, false perceptions, and lies. And they're very destructive. But I'd like to tell you, in my own journey, what was the most significant thing that started me on this path to get closer to God? It started almost 38 years ago. I was 19 years of age, and I I had been brought up in a Christian family, a family that read the Bible, a family that went to Sunday school, a family that went to a <clears throat> basically a good church. <clears throat> I knew about God, and I had accepted Jesus Christ at a very young age. But as I got older, particularly around 15 years of age, I decided, watching some of the things around me, watching my own father, that you know what? I wasn't interested in God. And this, this was, and I kid you not, this was a very well thought out process. I made deliberate decisions. Deliberate decisions. I don't want the Bible's morality. I don't want God telling me what to do. I don't want to submit to any authority but Mark. And I did just what Adam did, just what Eve did, just what people in Romans 1 did. I chose to rebel. I loved it. I I mean, I loved it. I love being a rebel. I still love it today. I'm just a righteous one. I'm just rebelling against the system that I used to embrace and embracing the God I used to rebel against. And I just gave myself to sin. And the older I got, my teen years, the more I just gave myself to what I wanted to do and I turned my back on that morality and I turned my back on God <clears throat> and I turned my back on Jesus and finally when I graduated from high school the very next morning I had my backpack all packed I walked down to the highway stuck up my thumb and headed to the mountains headed for a wilder life <clears throat> and then I moved to San Francisco for a time <clears throat> headed for a wilder life then I ended up in Houston, Texas for a while hitchhiked there Headed for a wilder life. But an interesting thing happened. Unbeknownst to me. You see, I didn't really grasp how real God really was. And God began 
uh, messing with my life. It's my life, God. What do you think you're doing? See, you think you can get away from God. You think you can run away from God. He'll start messing with your life. And he started messing with my life. Some really strange things started happening, odd things. But also, there were, that, that was external things. Then there were internal things. Like, I started to be really empty. Like, really empty. Like, I, like it was like, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this. Oh, I got to see this. I don't want to see it. I started to realize, you know what? You know what? All these hippie people I'm hanging around. I'm sorry. You know I'm a really blunt person. They're idiots. They're idiots. They're just a bunch of drugged out. All they want is to have sex with each other. This is all this is about. This isn't about changing the world for any better. These people are just shooting up, drugged up, rusted out, using one another. And I saw it. For what it really was. It wasn't a revolution. It was more rebellion and degradation. And I was right there. I wasn't into the shooting up and all the stuff. But I was right there. And I realized it's a joke. It's a joke. These people are a bunch of fools. And a little bit, if I can say this. I used to love this band. Like Stephen Stills. Better to rust out than to fade away. Give me a break. I think that's the guy's name. Crosby Stills. Maybe it's David Crosby I'm thinking of. I get him mixed up. I'm getting old. And I began to realize that I was at a, the most critical time in my life to make a decision. That I was <clears throat> 19 years of age and I was either going to go this way, <clears throat> this way after the world and after this crazy lifestyle. Or I was going to stop dead in my tracks. Repent, turn around. And surrender my entire life to God. <clears throat> well, this process took a couple months. I ended up back in Iowa. And one night I was driving home <clears throat> from seeing a girl in Des Moines, Iowa. I was driving about 60 miles up the freeway. I woke up three or four times in the middle of the median of the grass... Driving my car. I mean, I'd, I'd fallen asleep. I was there. I don't know why I didn't sideswipe a car, hit a culvert, hit an embankment, or die. I got no seatbelt. I'm driving a convertible. It's very cold out. And I got home that night, and I was really, really, really shook up because I realized there's no reason I should be alive. Over the next couple weeks, two more very significant, near, I could have died, got killed, or paralyzed and I decided, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done being a fool. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, I will not submit to God. I'm done. And so <clears throat> I was supposed to go see this girl that I'd been messing around with. And was on the way to Des Moines. I pulled off the side of the road, got down by uh, this river. <clears throat> I drove my car back, got out of my car. And I just knelt down by this log. And I said, God... It's right tonight. It's done. I'm done. <clears throat> I'm leaving my life of sin. Remember how Jesus said, leave your life of sin. Come follow me. Go and sin no more. That doesn't mean we're in perfection. It means that thing that's holding us, that's gripping us, let it go. Cut it off. Get rid of it. And for me, it was a moral decision. It was a woman in my life. knew had to go. Had to go. And I got down and I just said, you know what, Lord? Tonight, I'm going your way. The rest of my life, I'm going 100 miles out of the rest of my life. 
the rest of my 19 years old. What does a 19-year-old know? Well, God can speak to anybody, anytime. I went down that night, <clears throat> drove down, sat in her living room, said we need to talk. And uh, I'm pretty sure she thought we were going to talk about getting married because we talked about it. And I said, I need to apologize to you. It was very emotional for me. Very, it, was, it was, God had just completely changed me. And that drive down, from that moment there and that drive down, all of a sudden, my conscience was fully awake. My conscience was fully alive. The Spirit of God was right there. And I repented and apologized for the way I had used her, for my immoral actions. And I told her, you never see me again. The relationship's over. It's not because I hate you. It's not because I don't care, but I do. It's because <clears throat> nothing could be first in my life except God. Nothing. <clears throat> I walked out. The next morning I got up. I went through the same spiel with my mother and my father. I had treated my family with tremendous disrespect. I, I won't even describe it. It was horrific. And I made amends where I needed to make amends. And then I began to do something so simple. Anybody in this room can do. I had a Bible. <clears throat> and I took that Bible. <clears throat> and I took my car. And after I got off work, I would drive out to a woods. Or I could be alone. And I began to devour the Bible. And I began to start. Each time I would just stand. I'd just say, God, I know you're there. I know you're real. I know you're working in my life. These changes that you've begun inside of me, I have not brought them about. And I want desperately to know you. Desperate. Reveal yourself to me. Show yourself to me. Teach me about you, God. I want to live for you. I want to do your will. I want you to use my life. And I love you. And I can't thank you enough for changing my life. And I opened my Bible. Start in the book of Psalms. And I began to read and read and read. Five, ten, fifteen Psalms every day. Oh my gosh. It was as if God was just... I began to see this about God. And I began to see this about God. And I began to read this story about God. And, and every time I would read, I would pause and I'd reflect on what I read. I'd observe. And what is this saying? And what is God saying? What does this reveal about God? And what is God asking me to do? And what do I need to believe here? See, because there's things I need to believe. There's things I need to embrace. I'll never forget reading Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand with sinners, nor sit around with scorners, but his delight is in the law of God, and in his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the river of water. Its roots will go down, its fruit will be green, and whatever he do will grow. <clears throat> So I pondered that verse and I thought, what is God telling me? You know what the verse says? Change your friends, Mark. Get rid of the idiots in your life. The mockers in your life. The wicked in your life. You're hanging around the wrong people. And they're going to undermine your faith. And they're going to destroy your life. And they're going to corrupt your morality. 19 years old. I don't need to be a rocket science to understand that. And then, Mark, change your mind. Begin to take your mind and think about me. Think about my laws. And, Mark, I promise you, I promise you that if you do this, the roots of your life will go down. They'll go down deep, down to the soil. And they'll suck up the nutrients. And your life will work. And my life has worked. 33 years of marriage, four kids, raised, loving God, raising their kids to love God. I can pay my bills. I don't have debts. My life worked because I followed God. 
Because we follow God. Are you willing to follow God? You cannot be close to God if you don't follow God. This isn't a joke. Do you understand? This is not a game. God loves you. He gave his life for you. You matter more to him than anything in the universe. But if you're going to come after him, then it's got to be with everything. And you've got to leave that rebellion over there because it's doing you no good but ruining your life. And you got him. I could tell you some stories tonight of some people who are here. I want to. I, I hope these people don't mind. I'm not going to use their names. But if some of you know them well, you may know their story. But there, there's a young woman here tonight. There's a couple. One, I brought their story, but I'm not going to have time to read it. But there's a young woman here who wrote to me about uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. She went to Faith Walkers. This was her first Faith Walkers. She said, Mark, she said, I got to tell you this story. She said, one year ago, one year ago, I was ready to make the Vikings cheerleading squad. And the night, and I've never missed a Vikings game. I love the Vikings. And the night we were praising that, last night, Faith Walkers was a huge Vikings-Packers game. She said, do you know the thrill it was for me to be standing there singing to God and praising God instead of I would have been in front of those 60,000 fans being a cheerleader? God has revolutionized this woman's life. I could tell you so much about what God has done in her life this last year because she left it behind. Because she walked away from the rebellion and the immorality and the degradation and said, I'm done and I'm going after God. And God has revolutionized her life in the last 12 months. I got a letter right here from a young woman, young woman that I was helping. She left. She was here part of the rock. She went to be a missionary, another part of the world. While she was there, little by little, things got difficult. She's a gem. She's, she's just very precious to me, like a daughter in the faith. And I was over in Berlin about two years ago. And one night I was up because my sleep was off. And I got an email from her. I could tell something was wrong. We began to write. I have like, I just checked my email today. I think it's like 70 back and forth emails walking her through what was going on. But the bottom line was this. She said, you know, Mark, he used to talk to us about having a quiet time when the rock first started, about going after God, about reading the Bible and doing it. And I just, I let that go. I let that go. I got a letter here. She's telling me, Mark, I have not missed one morning getting with God for an hour for two solid years. It's been the best years of my life getting with God. Every day for 33 years, I've watched my wife Get alone in a room or in her bedroom with her Bible open, seeking God. She is so close to God, the woman glows. Like Moses, when he came down on the mountain, you know, he had to put a veil on his face because he glowed. She glows. People even told me, Mark, your wife just glows. She glows because of a walk with God. She is close to God because she chose to be close to God. Will you? I'd like you to bow your heads. And we're going to close in prayer. And then next week, We'll get into some more of this. Some of you here, you know, I know you don't know the Lord yet. But he wants to know you. See, you may not know him, but he knows you. He knows you. And I just want to give you the opportunity tonight 
to just say, as I close in prayer tonight, Jesus, come into my life and be my Savior. I want to know you. I want you as my Savior. I want to spend forever with you. I want my sins to be forgiven. Now, there are some others of you here tonight, to be honest, young or old, you've been playing games with God. You know, every day I have certain prayers that I pray for my children and my, the spouses of my children. Besides, there's very personal things I pray for them, things that are going on in their life that I know about, but I always pray, oh God, oh God, oh God. I beg you to deliver them from the evil one. I beg you to deliver them from temptation. I beg you, God, to keep them from complacency. I beg you, God, to keep them from lukewarmness and apathy. And I beg you, God, to keep them on fire for Jesus Christ. Grip their heart. Whatever you have to do, work in their heart. Some have been playing games with God. It'd be wise to end that tonight. It would be wise tonight to just say, you know what, Lord, I'm all in. I am all in and starting tonight and tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up and I'm going to seek you. I want you involved in my life. I want to be closer to you and I'm going to follow you and I point out whatever you want in my life, Lord, touch it. I'll change it. I'll do what you want me to do. I'm here. I want to do your will. Get your Bible, open it up and I'd like to encourage you. If you're just beginning, start reading five Psalms a day. And begin to read the book of John. Five psalms a day. And begin to read the book of John. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father. We just thank you tonight. Thank you tonight. That you really work in lives. you're You're the one reality Lord. You are the permanent reality. Everything we see. Everything we have. It's yours. You made it. You bought us with your blood. You love us. You want us. You desire that we know you. You desire that we follow you. You desire to give us an abundant life. But it comes at a price. And that price is surrendered life to God. You told us this. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. And you draw near to God. And God will draw closer even than you've known him before. I pray, Lord, that, that you just transform this church, that in the year 2013, that this would be the year that young men and women, old men and women, children look back and say, this was the year I got much closer to God. I began my life pursuit to be close to him. In Jesus' name, amen.